Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guests are Judith Valente and Brother Paul Quinnen, the author of the new book, How to Be, A Monk and a Journalist Reflect on Living and Dying, Purpose and Prayer, Forgiveness and Friendship. In the conversation, we discuss discerning your path, becoming a person, the purpose of life, how meditation helps us be in the world, the role of friendship, wisdom in daily life, and much more. Here's a little background on our guests. Judith is an award-winning author, journalist, poet, and essayist. She is a former staff writer for the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. And today she is a sought-after speaker and retreat leader on living a more contemplative life, discovering inner wisdom through poetry, and finding meaning in your work. Brother Paul Quinnen entered the Trappists in 1958 at the renowned Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky at the age of 17. And Thomas Merton was actually his novice master and spiritual director. Quinnen is the author of nine collections of poetry, and his memoir is titled In Praise of the Useless Life. I really enjoyed my conversation with Judith and Brother Paul, and hope you do as well. So please welcome the wise and gracious Judith Valente and Brother Paul Quinnen. All right. Well, Judith and Brother Paul, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. Thank you for taking the time to come on. Thanks for inviting. Thank you for the invitation. It's an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed your your new book, How to Be, and I'm excited to to chat about it. To begin, I wanted to talk about discerning your path in in life. That comes up as a a topic in, in the book, but maybe if we could go early on to share a little bit about you, what maybe helped you to discern your path in life. Could you start us off, Judith? Yeah, something Brother Paul helped me with in the course of writing the book was to help me see that we we often have different paths. Uh, we don't always stay on the same path in life, and we might have different callings at different points in our lives. You know, when I was a little kid, people would ask me what I wanted to be. And I'd say, I want to be a writer. And my first love in writing was poetry. You know, where did that come from? It came from somewhere inside of me. You know, nobody told me to be a poet, certainly not my truck driver father and my factory worker mother. Um, God bless their souls. They were great. They were great parents. But, um, you know, it came from somewhere inside of me. And then when I went to college, I got on the school newspaper and I fell in love with journalism. It was it was after the whole Watergate era and Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. They were, you know, folk heroes. So I became a journalist. And for four, for nearly 40 years, I worked as a journalist. And that was my vocation. And then uh, right around the time we were we were writing this book, you know, I began. Uh, well, I had written a couple of books as a journalist. Um, but I began to, to wonder if I hadn't done everything I wanted to do in journalism. It seemed as if 
I was writing the same story over and over. And and something Brother Paul said in the course of our correspondence together was that, you know, God is calling us at different points in our lives to different things. And that that helped me. That gave me the courage to finally leave daily journalism and move into writing books full time. But also I have a whole life now as a retreat guide, um, trying to help busy people like myself live a more contemplative mm-hmm. life. So that's a little bit about my journey. Well, thank you. How about you, Brother Paul? Well, um, my journey is pretty boring because it follows a, a rather straight line. <laughs> I've been living in the monastery for uh, 62 years or more, and I came here when I was 17. So, uh, you, unfortunately, not everybody is able to persevere that many years in, in a, in a, a monastery. Um, but uh, by the grace, it's the only miracle that I know of in my life is that I'm still here. <laughs> so I went to a Catholic school in West Virginia, Fairmont, West Virginia, and high school. And then at the end of high school, I mean, I, re- I began to get uh, a sense of uh, that there is you know, a great source of love uh, immediately available, and a monastery is a place to simply uh, uh, bask in that love day in and day out. So I've, you know, been, been fortunate in uh, having a good monastery and a place where I got good formation, lots of resources, and uh, remarkable people in the community and a good library. Um I've taken two breaks from life in the monastery. And when I went to get my master's degree in theology in a Catholic Theological Union in Chicago. And then uh, uh, a year or two after that, I went to Nigeria mm. to help uh, at a fledgling monastery I, uh, near, near Ahum. And I mean, uh, near uh, it's in a Namra state, so that'd be the. And uh, I did some teaching there. Uh, you know what uh, I had of theology, monastic history, philosophy was the main thing they were they were needing at the time. And uh, I was there almost two years, and then I came back to Gethsemane, and um, I've been going through my papers, throwing out things. <laughs> And I'm just amazed at how many uh, class notes I have. I didn't realize I had taken so many notes. (laughs) And I'm throwing them out. And I didn't pursue a career in theology. I I didn't really develop any philosophical schema. I got into writing poetry. (laughs) And um, that was... um, uh, um, more, I think, in more congenial to the monastic life I was living, which in a way is a rather poetic life. And then uh, in 2018, I published a memoir, which is, you know, it's it's not scholarly prose. It was, uh, you know, a, a writing which was done partly with a literary um, intent. And then uh, with uh, Judith, uh, the book we did, How to Be, uh, by the way, the memoir is called In Praise of the Useless Life. Love the title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
sort of after Thomas More's In Praise of Folly, St. Thomas More. Well, In Praise of the Useless Life, and then How to Be was the book of letters that uh, Judith and I did get together. So I was hoping maybe you could start by sharing with the listeners the framework uh, of the book, these letters be between you. I, I love this this framework. One of my favorite things to, to read is Letters from a Stoic by Seneca. But what gave this idea to, to, to write each other back and forth and, and make it a book? Well, I think it was probably originally my idea because – uh, I had interviewed Brother Paul for a PBS uh, program, a PBS news program about his mentor, Thomas Merton, the great Trappist monk and writer, spiritual master Thomas Merton. And I realized that going there, you know, most of the monks at the Abbey were over 70. And if you go to a monastery, most of the monks and monastic sisters are are quite quite elderly right now, and, and young people are not replenishing the monasteries. And I just realized that there was a great, great wellspring of, of wisdom in people like Brother Paul, who spent 60 years or more in the contemplative life. And I wanted to, uh, you know, we became friends after that interview. I wasn't just some journalist who came to interview him and then left. We We became friends. And in fact, we we share this love of poetry and we exchanged a Japanese haiku, a three line poem over three years. And then we wrote a book together. We combined the, the, the haiku we wrote with, with reflections for busy people. And the book became the art of pausing meditations for the overworked and overwhelmed. So we, we had this project together and through that, as well as, you know, my many emails back and forth and phone conversations and visits with brother Paul, I realized that he was the repository of, of a great deal of spiritual wisdom. And I wanted some way to preserve that wisdom, to, to sort of get it down on paper, and then to share it with people. And his mentor, Thomas Merton, was a prolific letter writer, as was lots of the spiritual masters of our, of, of our time in ancient times. You think about the letters of Dorothy Day, for example are so fantastic. The letters of Flannery O'Connor are fantastic. And so we decided to do it through the vehicle of letters, which would be, you know, both personal, but also a way of, of storing this, this wisdom that I knew, I knew I wanted to receive from Brother Paul. So that was the genesis on my part of this book and this project. How about for you, Brother Paul? Well, of course, like like any other book, it's liable to go out of print and go out of style. <laughs> so how long this is going to be preserved, who knows? Uh, I, I think my uh, idea in the book was uh, to, uh, there again, share my experience, share something of my own reflections and ideas and insights such as they are. Um, with the idea of giving back what I've been given. I mean, there's so much that I've been given. And I, I, want, I just don't want to keep it to myself. I, I want to be able to put it out there. And maybe others could benefit from it. Uh, uh, you know, everybody's experience is different. And I, I imagine if you took any number of monks out of this monastery 
and put them in a kind of a position where they could be interviewed and maybe letters be written, you would find that there's some awfully good, you know, things that you would want to, the public to know about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just one of many. Other, these guys come, you know, they, they've got a lot going on inside, uh, some more than others, but they're just not inclined to communicate the way I am. I, I mean, I kind of have this uh, um, a liking for, you know, writing mm-hmm. and for, you know, sharing with other people. And uh, when I'm asked to do so, if a group wants to come to the monastery and have a talk, then I'm willing to do that. And the retreat masters will ask me to do that. Um, and I usually almost always say yes, <laughs> or take somebody up to Burton's Hermitage or something like that. You know, and the other thing, the other thing Joshua, is that it's rare to to have this kind of communication with a Trappist monk because they're they're in a cloistered order. They don't go out. They don't teach. They don't work in hospitals and things like that. Their their main mission is prayer. So this was an opportunity I felt for other people to hear from a monk in a, in a basically a cloistered order. Well, thank you so much for that. And I wanted to share one of these insights from the book. And it it says the purpose of life is that it doesn't need a purpose. Could you say more on that, Brother Paul? Well, that, that in a way, that's a rather ambiguous statement. I'm not sure everybody's going to take it in the, in the right way. But, um, I, you know, our, our focus is so much on, on achievement and becoming somebody in the world. I mean, we leave the world in, in order to not to get into that kind of uh, life of uh, outward ambition uh, to become a somebody. And uh, what I want is to become a person, not a somebody out there. And and so the, 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 the contemplative life is really a basically a matter of becoming a person in the eyes of God. You know, the first degree of St. Benedict's rule says that, you know, we should always have awareness of God is gazing upon us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to think it's, it's a kindly gaze. <laughs> and um, that is where the real self is. And that's where uh, I want to be simply for the sake of being who I was created to be. I mean, I have been given my existence, and my existence is the most precious thing, you know, I have, other than abundance of gifts which God gives us. The chief purpose of life is to be, and everything flows from that. But if you're not who you are to begin with, all the rest is phony. Mm. And the rest is simply distraction or diversion from what your real uh, purpose in life, which is to be the creature that God has made you to be. Mm. That's beautiful. I've got to ask Judith, how did you receive that? You describe yourself in the book as as a doer, an achiever, 
How did you receive that when you read that line? Well, it was very powerful for me because I'm a, I'm a chronic workaholic and overachiever. And, you know, I grew up with this notion of that I had to earn my keep in life, that, um, you know, w- what I did defined who I am. And, and Brother Paul, you know, said that that's not it. You know, <laughs> that's not it at all. The purpose of life is to live your life, to understand life as a gift and to live life. It's not about what you achieve and what you do. I mean, I never was a person who sought money. You know, money was never my goal in life. Uh, you know, God gave me the opportunity to have good good positions and good salaries. That was that was a byproduct. You know, I I always felt like I had to my work was the most important thing. My work is what proved my value in the world. And, you know, bro it was very freeing when Brother Paul said that to me, that the purpose of life is to live your life because it meant that I could just be who I am. And that, that would be enough. You know, I didn't have to win the Pulitzer prize. I didn't have to write a bestseller. Um, it was enough to be who I am because I wouldn't be here. if God didn't want me to be here. Can I stay with you, Judith, on, on this question of, as Brother Paul mentioned, this idea of ambition and maybe desires and attachments that we might have, how does that connect with maybe our our false self and, and letting go? How does that connect for you? Any fears and things like that that come up? Hmm. Well, you know, I still try whatever I try to do. I'm, I'm a retreat guide now. Uh, you know, I'm a person who's asked to speak here and there. Um, I write books. I try to do the best that I can, but my goal is not um, to show I'm not a failure. You know, my goal is not to have some great success. My goal is to do the best that I can and to be of some, some small amount of service in what I do. Um, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a book on Mother Teresa now who said, you know, do small things with great love. And that's a real, that's, that's so simple, but so fundamental. And, you know, we tend to think we have to do these grand gestures in life, you know, or it's not, it's not good enough. And, um, you know, small things with great love. There's a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. in that. I love it. So, Brother Paul, this idea that you, you mentioned of ambition it seems that it's a a universal human thing. It, it even exists in in monasteries. I, I would assume. How do we work with with letting go of some of that ambition to to simply be? Well, I think meditation does that, um, because in meditation you uh, you intentionally set aside all those things. Uh, if you have some, uh, if you have a meal to cook, don't. That's not the time to think about it. If you have a paper to write, um, you know, forget it for a while, and you you will probably have to do that pretty intentionally sometimes, uh, because things crowd into your mind, and you you need to get something done. But give yourself uh, a a, a command, I'll take care of that later. 
let me just now be, be in the great presence and let God take care of the rest of it. And sometimes um, God does. <laughs> or sometimes, you know, out of the blue, a thought will pass your mind, which really is what you've been looking for. Uh, you weren't asking that question at the time, but, you know, there it is all of a sudden. So um, that's a good place to start, and that's a good place to keep coming back to. I, I make a habit of that every day. You know, we, we meditate uh, twice a day, maybe three times. And um, the other th in, in the monastic life, of course, it's basically a life of obedience. I, I kind of wonder how obedient I am a lot of times. But nevertheless, um, I uh, simply can't pick up some something and, you know, run full speed with it and make that the focus of my life. First of all, my focus is the monastic life, you know, the prayer life. And... Um, if I decide, you know, I would like to start giving retreats and, you know, uh, I, I've been invited to go to Germany. I've been invited to go to Dublin to give a, a Merton talk. But the abbot decided it'd be better if I stayed home. <laughs> <laughs> well, that takes detachment, you know. It's just, well, OK, that's that's just another thing I don't have to do. Um, I would have liked to. I would have liked to go go on to both places, but see that that's a, that's a kind of ba a basic renunciation that that you have to make. And I suppose the same thing happens in the married life. There are some things you have to renounce that you you know you just can't do because you have a family. Yeah, I think what Brother Paul is talking about is, is obedience as being kind of a freeing thing. Um, you know, we, we have so many choices in, in the secular life and so many decisions that have to be made. And um, sometimes decisions are made for, for, for Brother Paul in the monastery. They're made by the abbot. And, and there's, there's a certain freedom to that as well, um, I think, uh, that comes with that. A constriction in one way, but freedom in another way. Merton, at the end of the Seven Story Mountain, talks about uh, going through the gatehouse door and entering the four walls of my freedom, mm. uh, my new freedom. Counterintuitive when we think about it. I I recall reading in the in the chapter titled "Meditation" of not having the goal to get better at it, where. That that seems to be, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but you sit down to to meditate, whatever it may be, and at the end, asking, how did I do? How can I do better tomorrow? Um, how do we maybe just sit there and keep that in, in mind of not necessarily getting getting better at things? Any thoughts there, Judith? I think that that was another lesson, a great lesson that Brother Paul taught me that not to be, you know, not to be so focused on the goal that you want, but just to see mm -hmm. how things unfold. And sometimes the way things unfold is better than what you what you imagine <laughs> for yourself. Um, I thought of when you were talking about this whole thing about freedom and obedience, 
I thought about a funny story. I had an opportunity to drive Brother Paul to a conference a few years ago, a Thomas Merton conference, and he gave a, a talk and he, um, you know, they gave, people gave free will donations after his talk. And, you know, I gave him the money. I think it was $200 that people donated for his talk. He had no idea um, when, he, when, he, when he got back to the monastery where he'd even put the money. I mean, it was so insignificant to him. And then, you know, I would have, you know, you know, I or any other secular speaker probably would have, you know, taken that money, folded it up, put it in a safe place. You know, he really didn't care. And then uh, the abbot had given him, I think, a couple of hundred dollars in spending money for the trip. And he was, uh, he was, you know, buying some guy at the conference had lost his cane. You know, Brother Paul went and bought him a cane. You know, he had no, you know, no conception of holding on to this money at all. And I thought that was, that was so interesting. And, and I think it gets to the, the issue of the freedom that he is talking about. And Merton was talking about when Merton walked through the, the monastic gatehouse. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I have a question around this love of, of poetry that you both have. What would you say poetry can teach us about life? Brother Paul, you want to start us off? Well, poetry should flow out of life. Uh, if you're not living a life, uh, your poetry is just coming off the top of your head. Or it's a kind of substitute, you know. I, but um, it, there's... The thing about poetry, it, 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 there's an, an immediacy about it. Uh, and poetry should communicate an experience. So you have, you have an experience to begin with, and then you can you know, transform it into art. And words, in a way, help to ex enhance experience, or they can compromise experience. A good poetry, a good poet, will enhance experience with words. And uh, when I, you know, write poetry and when I publish, um, my main idea is to, to put under people's nose the smell of monastic life, mm. you know, to, to give them some sort of sensate experience. I mean, there are so many books about monastic life and the history and you know, the goals and the aims and all that. There aren't too many books that really give you a sense of what it's to be like inside the monastery. And uh, Merton did that with uh, The Sign of Jonah uh, and other uh, some other books. But uh, uh, I, poetry for me is a way of doing that. And then right now I'm working on my journals, um, you know, things that happen you know, experiences uh, which are, are significant ideas. And to me, it's a way of giving people an idea of what transpires in the, in the life of a monk, you know, in his mind, in his, in his experience, and so forth. I don't have a title for that book yet, but it'll probably be another two or three years before mm -hmm. it's completed. But uh, that's that's what uh, poetry is is for me. Uh, I don't know about Judith. Well, I think our, our friendship began uh, through our mutual love of poetry. You know, that's what connected us. And when Brother Paul told me he writes a, a haiku, a Japanese three-line poem a day, 
Um, I thought that was terrific. And I said, well, I'm going to do that too. And then we began exchanging these haiku and it, it eventually turned into a book. But in terms of poetry, um, I think poetry offers us a, a clarifying vision of what it means to be human. And I write poetry to understand my life, you know, not so much to, to tell people what life is about, but just to sort of try to understand my own daily experiences. And I'll give you a really quick um, anecdote about how I love, how I came to love poetry so much. I was a little kid and um, I used to, I used to go hide in the bathroom with a little radio, transistor portable radio. And I heard Edna St. Vincent Millay's poem, Recuerdo, uh, somebody read that on the radio. And it's a poem about riding a ferry, riding back and forth on a ferry. And I used to take the Staten Island ferry from where I lived in New Jersey over to Staten Island to see relatives. And I remember thinking, you know, how Edna, Edna St. Vincent Millay's poem, you know, it evoked the, the way the sky looked from the, the ferry. And it evoked the, the sounds and the smells of riding the ferry. And I thought, wow, you know, she could do this in words. I want to do that, too. You know, I want to give people that I want to give people the same experience that she gave me in that poem. And that was kind of the start of, you know, I was just a little kid. And it was the start of a lifelong love of poetry. And um, unfortunately, when you go to when you go to high school and college, you know, the teachers sometimes kill it for you because they try to, you know, they try to explain the life out of a poem. And they, you know, they suck the lifeblood out of it by trying to say, oh, this symbolizes that and this means this. And, you know, instead of just letting people enter into the world of the poem and enjoy the poem. So, you know, mm. Brother Paul and I were kindred spirits in that in that sense. That was one of the, the foundations of our friendship. That that brings up for me this idea of of friendship. You talk about a, a poem maybe giving you that that experience. I, I felt that reading the book of the friendship between the two of you, eager to see the other person's response to the to the letter. Uh, and recently I I read something that kind of shocked me and, and the Buddha called friendship the entire spiritual life. And I, I feel like there was a, a similar idea that that you were talking about around friendship what what is what is friendship to you brother paul yeah i've never tried to define it for myself i just experience it you know it just comes and develops and you 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 enjoy it um there's use uh to me it's one of the most well perhaps the most rewarding experience in life mm. i i think it's uh it's perhaps more important than than any, anything else other than prayer and a prayer is just a form of friendship with god basically mm. so uh, for me uh friendship is an extension of my friendship with god to other people and uh, you, you can sense when it's going to happen and when it's not going to happen and sometimes it, it um uh it doesn't happen when you think it might, and sometimes it does happen when you're, you'd at least expect it. But um, it's simply a, a kind of trans, transposition 
of the inner life to the outer life where I can share what's closest to my heart with another person and to to have that returned. Mm. And that's a very precious thing. Uh, we're, we're all very lonely people, basically. Mm. <laughs> and, and we need to get out of our shells. And um, friendship is the way of doing that. I think that uh, friendship is not simply a remedy to our loneliness, but it's actually the fulfillment that we have as a person related to other people or more specifically to another person. How about you, Judith? Well, I'm thinking of, again, of, of uh, Mother Teresa saying the, the great American illness is not cancer or heart disease or diabetes, but loneliness. And, you know, I experienced that living in a high rise in Chicago as a, as a young single woman where, you know, hundreds of people lived in my building. And yet I didn't, I didn't know the names of the people who lived down the hall from me. You know, I could look into the windows of the people who lived in the high rise across the street. And yet I felt incredibly alone. Um, so friendship is, is kind of the, 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 the antidote, the bulwark against all of that. And one of the things Brother Paul introduced me to, or one of the bits of writing in our correspondence with each other was the, uh, the, the, the writings of St. Alred of Rivaux. You know, he wrote such, such beautiful um, insights into friendship. And um, it, it, was in the, it was in the form of his uh, a, a sort of a teaching to younger, younger monks. He was a monk himself. And he, he talks about friendship being based on wanting to lift up and benefit the other person. You know, it's friendship isn't what can I, what can this person do for me? What can I get out of this relationship? That friendship is what can we do for the other person? And then the other person wanting to do the same for us. And I think he, he came up with a phrase that was something like mutual beneficial beneficiaries or something like that, mutual beneficiaries or something like that. Um, he came up with a line and it, it, it escapes me right now. Do you remember, Brother Paul? Uh, well, I don't know that phrase, but uh, just to, he says, you, you learn to love the other person for their yeah. own sake. Mm. And by the way, he was in the, the 1100s, not the 1200s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, um, I, you know, and I think that, that that's, that's the way to look at friendship, um, you know, mm. not as, well, is it reciprocal? You know, am I getting back what I'm putting into it? No, no, that's, that's not it. Um, but, you know, your goal should be to lift up the other person to, um, you know, it's just what Brother Paul said. What would you say gets in the way of cultivating friendship today? Anything come to mind as, as obstacles? I, I think the instability of life, uh, people change so much. Uh, things, things, you know, they might have to move to a, a, another state or they might uh, simply have uh, some kind of a job change that doesn't allow them time to spend, uh, you know, in a, in a friendly way. Um, 
but that's those aren't necessarily obstacles. Uh, I, I've had friends for decades and decades, and they live in other states, but they come to the monastery. And the nice thing about the monastery that we have a life of stability. I'm always here, and when they come, here I am. Uh, not everybody is able to avail themselves of that. And of course, you have letters or in phone calls, but that doesn't always work. Mm. Uh, uh, some people, I'm not particularly good at phone calls, but with some people I am. Mm. Uh, our I have friends who ought to be good at phone calls, and they're not. But boy, when we're together, it's, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> or letter writing. Now, fortunately, Judith and I both have a love for writing. And so it was a kind of a happy combination that we were able to take advantage of. So that's one thing uh, Judith might have better ideas. Well, in my case, I think the, the biggest threat to friendship is, is ego. And when I think of, of friendships that have unraveled, uh, it had to do with me, me not feeling valued enough, me not feeling seen, you know, me, me, me. And, you know, Allred is, is saying, oh, that's, 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 that's not it. You know, it's not all about you. It's about us when you're in a friendship. And so um, I think we have to, again, it comes back to that idea of detachment that we were talking to. You know, it takes a certain amount of detachment to uh, friendship, to not, you know, to not, to not feel that you're giving more than you get or keeping a, keeping a ledger, as my husband says, you know, um, marriage it's not good to keep a ledger of what the what the other person does or doesn't do i love that i, I just recently heard something within the last couple of days I, I think it was saint Teresa of lusu said the the one thing god doesn't know is is math mm. you know there's no no yeah. scorekeeping and in, <laughs> in tallying that ledger how about the idea of this final chapter that you concluded the book with of living in eternity, how does the present moment and just understanding the, the, the lessons in that chapter maybe help us to be? Well, I think that uh, getting back to meditation, meditation is a matter of being in the now. And uh, it, it takes us, in one way, it takes us out of the stream of time you know, what, what I've just been doing and what I'm going to do next, it puts me into the present moment and in which I can free myself to be available to God and God somehow insinuates himself into my heart. And so that is uh, the, 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 the core of meditation is the now. Well, Eternity is the, is the eternal now. Eternity is not a stretch of time like what we know it as history, but it is what St. Augustine calls totosimo, all things in one moment, all time in the one now. If I can train myself or avail myself of being up to the now habitually, I'm that closer to eternity. And in that eternal now, all nows are available. Yeah, you know, that was a profound insight that I, I gained from Brother Paul, I think, in, in our correspondence. 
you know, the, the sense that we, we live in eternity. You know, our life is on this continuum. You know, we were somewhere before we were born. We may not remember it, but we were somewhere. We existed somehow. We exist now. And, and after death, there's going to be another type of existence because we're on this continuum. And, um, you know, people, people talk about that, you know, after you die, you know, they're in, they entered eternity. They're in eternity. Well, we're in eternity now, as, as far as I'm concerned, um, because we live on this, on this, this, this continuum. Let me ask a question around softening the heart, I, I guess, if you will. When I, I think of this living in eternity, it seems like an obstacle to that might be a similar obstacle to friendship of resentment or these negative feelings about, um, as Judith mentioned, the, the me or the, the ego. How do we maybe soften the heart to, to let some of that resentment and things that might, might build up that take us out of the now? Well, I, I think that um, when you when you think about living in eternity, that you're in eternity, it, it makes, you know, one little one little blip in your life. You know, the one thing that goes wrong today or this wrong move you made or maybe you made a, a big wrong move. Maybe you, you got into a job that you hate. Um, it makes it less um, onerous on you to 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 to, to realize that, OK, this is just one little blip on this very long scale of this very long continuum of eternity that we're on. And to me, that was very freeing that I, you know, I don't have to do everything perfectly. I don't have to make every decision a right decision, you know, because, you know, I'm on this, this, uh, you know, I'm on this uh, continuum, you know, so one, you know, one thing is, doesn't become as uh Oh, I don't know, crucial or as uh, um, uh, exacerbating, perhaps for me as um, as maybe it was before when I just thought, well, you know, I just have this one life and this this one time. Um, so it, it was kind of a freeing thing for me when Brother Paul started to talk about living in eternity. Well, I think patience is very important. Um, that patience. Uh, you don't react. It's not a matter of, you know, letting the present moment with its negativity, such as it is, control you. Uh, you simply uh, uh, are, are present to the moment for what it is without making things worse by reacting negatively to it. And that... <clears throat> That, uh, in a way, it's it's a way of detaching yourself and not being controlled by the pressures of the moment. On the other hand, it allows you to fall back on your inner resources and on a wiser approach to things uh, in order to perhaps eventually remedy the situation. You know, silence is a good... Is a good um helper or aid, I would say, in, in those moments, you know, um, when when you're in a very negative place. You know, my 
my reaction often is to just, you know, blurt out what I think. And, you know, if I'm, if something angers me, just to blurt out that I'm angry about it. When, you know, I, I mean, silence would sort of equalize that. And I, and I think that's something that Brother Paul talked about in the letters. And he learned from his own monastic life. You know, he says, uh, you know, one of their rules is you don't grumble, you don't complain, you don't speak ill of other monks. And just think about if we did that, if we all did that in our workplaces, in our families, around the dinner table. You know, if we didn't grumble, we didn't complain, uh, we didn't speak ill of other people. Imagine that. <laughs> and if I have something, uh, uh, to, uh, some grief against another monk, well, I pray for him. <laughs> <laughs> instead of, instead of you know, getting sore over the thing, well, pray for him. And so right now I'm praying for Putin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a, a number of other people who need it. I, I wish I really ought to be doing more of that than I am. Mm. Well, maybe we can transition to this final question here that we we tend to ask most guests is how you define or think about wisdom in daily life. Well, I I think I I, I wouldn't want to define wisdom. Uh, I would say wisdom is is life, daily life, maturing itself. Mm. As uh, wisdom rises up out of experience, and experience that is reflected upon uh, in view of other experiences, or uh, and most helpfully uh, reflected on in in view of other people's experience. So uh, wisdom really is something that you you come up by your own life, but it also comes from the life of exper- life experience of other people, and that's where the uh, you know the spiritual father is important, or the spiritual counselor, or the mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you come and create parallels with the other people and the other lives, and then learn from that. So I would think it's uh, life. Wisdom is life finding itself in the community. Mm. Beautiful. How about you, Judith? Well, I'll just say briefly, because Brother Paul said it so well. Um, I also think wisdom is is having the courage to realize that you don't know everything. That you you don't have, none of us has the whole truth. We have pieces of the truth and the guy next to me and the gal next to me has a piece of the truth and we learn from each other. Um, so I think wisdom is, is, is having the courage to, to understand that we, we don't know everything. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we, we may never know everything and that's, that's okay too. Well, thank you so much. I, I really am grateful for the time and, and you both connecting is there anything that we didn't touch on from the book that, that we should have, that we might want to close with? Well, I would say one thing um, to, that's, helped, that's been helpful to me and as his, his experience unfolded with Brother Paul is to, to look for the movement of the sacred in, in my life and to look for the meaning in every, every opportunity. I mean, you asked about wisdom. I think that's a piece of wisdom, too to always look for the meaning, the story behind the story. 
um, the meaning behind everything that happens, whether it's this war in the Ukraine, whether it was the pandemic, whether it was some some event that happened in our life, you know, to to seek out the the the, the meaning behind the event and to see what that what what wisdom and what truth that holds for your life. Thank you. How about you, Brother Paul? The uh, the fool is known by the multitude of words. Uh, the wise man is known by his silence. So I'll, I will return to silence. <laughs> Great. I, I love it. And, and again, for the listeners, the book is How to Be... Uh, this has been great. Where would you point people interested in learning more about you and, and the book? Well, um, my website is uh, judithvalente.com. I'm on Facebook as Judith Valente and uh, Instagram and Twitter. And um, Brother Paul, your website is monks.org. That's the monastery website. I don't have a personal website. But it's a good place to learn a bit a bit more about the monks and the Trappist life and the monastic life. And, of course, uh, our book is available um, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. But I always like to point people to their local bookseller to support their local independent booksellers. And if they don't have their, our book on the shelf, they'll be happy to order it. Well, great. And we'll link everything in the show notes for the for the listeners. Uh, Judith and Brother Paul, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. I'm truly grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, Subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.